0: Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock.
1: Buddy Williams is one of the best drummers in the world. He started playing professionally at the age of eight and attended the High School of Music and Art and later, Manhattan School of Music. Buddy Williams' credentials list as a who's who of Tom the music Brown, industry: Luther Vandross, Stevie Wonder, Regina Bell, Manhattan Transfer Al Jarreau, Hebo Bryson, the GRP All-Stars, Shaka Khan. Buddy was an integral part of the Saturday Night Live band for over 12 years. His work is heard on hundreds of classic songs, some you're listening to right now. Buddy has been the drummer on three incredible musicals the original Broadway production of The Color Purple, Motown the Musical, and the recent revival of Bette Midler's Hello, Dolly. I didn't know it at the time. When I started out playing drums, I was playing along to a lot of Buddy Williams' recordings. And I'm so happy he's on my podcast. Welcome to Broadway Drumming 101. My name is Clayton Craddock, and my guest today is the legendary Buddy Williams. Thank you for taking time out to talk to me about yourself and your connection uh, with really our connection to what we do as musicians on Broadway. I mean, we've known each other.
2: Not long enough, brother, not long (laughs) enough. I needed you years ago, but when God blessed me with you and my presence to guide me through this path that we have to run down those streets and get in the pit in time before the door closed and make it sound (laughs) like it's supposed to sound. Yes. And not get yelled at by the conductor. And I'm going to be quiet after that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I got to tell you, I don't, I, you probably don't remember, but when you were working at Showtime at the Apollo with Debbie McDuffie, my yeah. cousin worked with Debbie and he brought me down and you told me about this new technology and you talk, you we were offline before you were telling me about, you know, how technology, somewhat confound you today but back then you had this new it wasn't a you know it wasn't a smartphone because we didn't have smartphones back in the mid 90s it was all oh,
2: the the yeah. Zaurus or something was, like
1: that yeah and you and you typed on you're like man you got to get one of these for your schedule I'm like really what's that
2: look and now we're all walking around with them guiding <laughs> us like
1: <laughs> yeah you were way ahead then you you should have just been like investing in that company you could have been like a Multi-billionaire. Yeah, you're right, and here we are. For people that don't know who Buddy Williams is, I want you just to look him up because there's just so many names that I could just rattle off, and you know, so many other people have rattled them off already. But I'm not even going to do that right now because we're going to focus right now on the connection that we have. Like I said before, which is Broadway. Your first Broadway show was that The Color Purple, or was that was there something else before that?
2: The first official show that Broadway will recognize as me, Buddy Williams, is our our participation with the color purple because I started from the beginning. I was specially requested via the great Linda Twine. I knew the three authors, uh, uh, Brenda Russell, of course, Uh, rest in peace, Allie Willis, dear Allie Willis, who I worked with with Bette Midler, 40 years ago, but you got to have friends. That song. I was playing with Bett and Ally was writing and stuff. So we were on a team together. So it was Brenda Russell, Ally Willis, and then Stephen Bray, he's a great drummer, uh, Madonna, da da, and they were the composers. So Linda Twine wanted me to come. You know, when they say to you, I want you to do what you do. And you go, really? OK. No, 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 no. You do what you do. Whatever you hear right here, you do. Yeah, right, Clay? (laughs) You do what you do. And I'll have somebody write it down. And I went, yes, man. And she started notating and stuff. But um, I I was blown away by that because I had learned from y'all, y'all meaning the brothers that are doing it every day, here's the libretto. Don't move. Don't deviate. And if you do... Edge will roll, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, silly, but, you know, it was to that degree. But the first official uh, Broadway show that Broadway will say, now I've tried to sub on other shows, uh, Sweet Brian Break, Omnipotent Potentate with Broadway. I tried to do uh, Smokey Joe's. They wanted me to try to play at The Wiz. I was always on the road. And I... (sighs) I was kind of not stuck, but I was I had previous, you know, but when I came back to town, I would learn a book. I tried to learn uh, uh, several. I won't name them, but, you know, them Disney joints, the mouse and, uh, you know, but uh, I never got, you know, you learn it and then you never get the call. But I was honored to do from like you, you do from scratch the work. I didn't do the workshop in Georgia for the color purple. Uh, but I heard the tapes and the stuff with Lettucey doing that. And, and, uh, what's our sister, uh, Adrian Lennox. Woo! So I thought them sisters was going to be in what I, it was going to be. But when I got to the, to the official, here's the first day, it was the cast that we now went, Monday, Tony, Lachance. Woo! you know, and all those folks. So, Yeah, it was great to do that. Angela Robinson, I mean, I can name them all. And then later on, they had uh, Fantasia. You know, she put her stamp on it, you know? And I was there for for all of that. So, And then I... I, But I, I had subbed at... What do you call it? You know the one. Hair. I had subbed at Hair, but that wasn't my official show, but I subbed at Hair... And the same thing, the composer wanted me to do it. And uh, he liked that I was there and played the, the same tempo that he wanted it to be because uh, the drummer at the time, ooh, Clayton, I'm, be, I'm holding my tongue. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> you want people to look up stuff, you look up the stuff. The drummer at the time, he came in and he played at the temple he wanted to play. Out. He didn't, he didn't uh, toe the line like he's supposed to with the uh, conductor lady. But that was a great experience because I, I loved that music. But to play, a, you know, you have to play it right every night. And and that was the you know, that's what I was striving for. Then the second one, of course, is our uh, Motown experience. Yeah. Before, before we go there, let's let's talk mm-hmm. about
1: you. You were born and raised in New York, New York City, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, bed
2: Brooklyn, All King's right. County Hospital. And you went to Manhattan School of Music. I went to the high school of music and art uh, and I went to Manhattan school of music. I was a terrible student because I was always playing in the clubs and playing with other people and going on the road. I was uh, incorrigible if that's the word without cussing on air, (laughs) but you know what I mean? I was, you know, listen, my, my parents didn't have it like that. I didn't really have a big scholarship. So I paid myself through school, but I had great teachers and, great uh, blessings of people that mentored and helped me. I got to say Warren Smith, uh, Warren Smith, the great percussion drum teacher, he, he, he led by example, by me seeing the many different uh, instruments that we, we play in our section and tried to get my reading together and, and they got me through. Uh, my, my university teachers was uh, Jim Price, who was a match grip guy and he calmed the waters for me because most of these guys were like, you're, you know, you're unorthodox and you can't play like that. But you know, uh, he he showed me that it was, it was fine. Of course, I, I came through the ranks of Mr. Paul price at Manhattan school of music. Uh, he was a very nice gentleman. Uh, uh, his, he was, a he was a great, um, Concert uh, percussionist, and he was, he he was a big he, he was kind of scary, but once you got past the rough thing, like your drill sergeant, he he loved you, and he you know big Texas guy, and had the cohebas when he when before they made said you can't have them in the building and smoke, and he used to tell certain friends of ours that's on Broadway now that are great great drummers that I went to school with, they said. He used to say, you need to leave Mr. Williams alone and learn your lesson because when he comes back, he he is two lessons ahead. And his father, my father scared me with it. He said, I don't care if you are, um, I don't care if you are paying or who's paying it. I want you to do good. Don't half do. You know how you hear that? Don't half do. And my father was a great musician, man. I'm yeah, I was, was going to ask you,
1: who influenced you to play drums?
2: Uh, well, let's say it in the short version. My dad was in a group called the Charioteers. They're an old um, singing group from the 30s and 40s. Uh, they were in lots of... They, they were what the Blacks uh, singing group uh, for Columbia Records with the, gold, uh, with the red label and the gold microphone. And they had hits like Ride, Red, Ride, Open the Door, Richard, So Long. They were in uh, several Broadway productions, but uh, Hell's a Poppin'. You know, the first brothers. Um, he went to Wilberforce University. He spoke five languages. He could sing. He Oh, no, he was a baritone. He sang, in, you know, Mr. Boatner. Um, uh, Bobby McFerrin's father. I know I'm off the thing. How, stay there, stay there. Bobby McFerrin's father sang in Porgy and Bess. You know what's-his-name couldn't sing. You know, the guy and, and the, the character, the main character. Bobby McFerrin's father and my father were tight from that era. That's how far back my dad goes. Uh, Bing Crosby, they were on television with um, uh, uh, Arthur Godfrey. They were the first brothers on TV. I say all that to say... I have that in my house here. You know what I mean? Uh, that piano. UB Blake is my great uncle, lived down the block. I, I, I was around, you know, music and piano and stuff like, uh, you know, the carpenter's kid is a carpenter. The fireman's man, kid is a fireman, kind of. I was a musician's kid, but they, you know, my grandmother was a minister at Bridge Street Church across the street here and playing the piano meant, oh, boy, they're going to make me play in church. And, you know, the hip, the hip stuff to us wasn't then, you know what I mean? So it was a lot of, you know, stuff. Joseph Joubert is the, is the pure example of him and Shelton. They can play the church stuff. And Jason Michael Webb, too. They can play the church stuff and still play the hip stuff. I didn't have that, that avenue. It, to me, it was like, oh, boy, I'm going to have to play this stuff over and over again. And I had too many great piano players around me. So, yeah, I played piano from three years old, but not like that. But I was encouraged by the drums because I I, I saw that was my voice, my path. I used to see the drum corps come through here, the African drumming, uh, Chick Webb. My dad knew uh, Lionel Hampton. All those guys knew my father and them because... Those guys were the guys in those days, you know? So when they would see my dad um uh, they, you know, Lionel Hampton gave me a pair of sticks, uh, Clayton, them big old practice sticks, big old suckers look like tree trunks. <laughs> and I came home playing boom, 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 on the door, on this teak door in my brownstone here, my parents. Boy, did I get my butt beat. See, I caught, I caught myself. <laughs> so... But that was the way I I learned the drums and how to apply it. And my Uncle Yubi was very encouraging of, leave him alone. That's what he wants to do. He's definitely got got the rhythm and the stuff. And then I pursued it more and more and more. And then, yeah, lessons. But I had naturally sat down at a set one day and just, it was over. My Chris, Chris Brooks, God rest his soul, my cousin Chris. I played his drums one summer. I think I was eight or nine in Illinois and that was it. And so when, I've been doing that ever since. You know? When did you get your first drum set? Uh, uh, the first drum set that I owned, I guess as a teenager only because my dad really couldn't afford it, but I played other people's drums and practiced on and in, in school. But, uh, I worked, tell you the truth. I worked, um, uh, as a as a janitor, not janitor, but you know, like you mop the floors on the weekends and dad had these buildings and I would go do that and he'd save the money. And I went to Sam Ash and bought a Ludwig Standard uh, drum set. It was that Strat, blue Strat. I still have the snare drum and two of the little Tom Tom. And the rest of them, I don't know where that went, you know. That's a lot of years ago. I haven't <laughs> thought about those drums, but... That was the first uh, kit I got, and then from then on, I I uh, I got drums. Folks gave me drums. The great Roy McCurdy, who played with uh, Cannibal, my uncle is Walter Booker, and Uncle Bookie and and uh, Roy McCurdy, Roy McCurdy was getting drums all the time, so he would give me drums. He just give me drums, you know. Uh, so I would take care of them, but they were little jazz kit, and I, they would fit in my Volkswagen, so I could go play my gigs at like the the seller, or McKells or Russ Brown. That's all in that West 90s area. And that's how I paid my rent while I was going to Manhattan School of Music and Music and Art and all of that stuff. Because, I, you know, I was trying to hold on and be somebody's uh, parent and, and responsible human being.
1: Were there drummers that you were um, looking up to at the time where you are like, you know what, I want to be as good as this guy or this
2: woman? Roy McCurdy. Um uh yeah yeah listen all the great gods of of the drums then yeah Max Roach Billy Colin, but Roy McCurdy Ayto Moreira Roy McCurdy Ayto <laughs> Moreira those two guys if you don't know go do your homework kids cuz those are some bad dudes and that opened my head up time wise how to approach a uh, 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 piece. Um, stay in your lane, Roy McCurdy. Uh, I too. stay in your lane, open up, you know, how to approach dynamics. Roy Haynes, Max Roach. Yeah, Tony Williams. But my my guy that I wanted to be like, since this is the Broadway platform, is the great Grady Tate. Ain't nobody better than that dude, brother. Brady Tate, especially when it comes to what you're saying, Broadway, that guy, man, he played on a lot of shows and a lot of situations. And he was he was clean. His approach, his his everything was very, you know, you know, symmetric, if I may use that term.
1: So, I'm looking up Roy McCurdy right now. He's still alive. Oh, baby. He's, he's 85, yeah. lives in Rochester. Yeah, he lives in, uh, born, born in, Rochester. Born in
2: Rochester. He just got a big award. He lives in Pasadena, Altadena, California. I talk to him once a month. And uh, he's. A Cal Basie, West Montgomery, man. Ella
1: Fitzgerald, Sarah yeah, I need to do He my worked homework.
2: with Nancy Wilson until she died. Wow. Him and her worked it. after Cannon died, she scooped him up. We were all under the same umbrella when we were growing up or working together with John Levy. And John Levy was the manager for Nancy Wilson, Cannibal Adderley, Stanley Turentine, Freddie Hubbard, uh, Les McCann. Ooh, can't forget Les McCann. And there's another lady I think we all know named Roberta Flack. We were all under the same umbrella of John Levy's tutelage in terms of he was the management. Because I worked with a, a young group from Music and Art called Natural Essence. And uh, Rashid Ali uh, created this group and, and, and got all of us together. And then when our piano player went to the army or whatever, he got, uh, he asked Nat Adderley Jr. Because Noel Pointer was in our band, Noel Pointer. And then he got Nat Adderley Jr. to play. And once Nat got in the band, his father heard us, his dad, Papa Nat and Cannon, heard us, and they did this. And they we, we were at the Apollo. Like you said, you remember, you saw me at the Apollo. I had been working at the Apollo in the basement, upstairs. You know, that was our after-school uh, teething ring, so to speak. You know what I mean? So that's how I got to play with so many musicians at a young age because the drummer didn't come upstairs, and they say, tell the kid to come up, or one of them, Francisco Centeno, the bass player. Same thing, scoop you up upstairs to play the show until they could get somebody else or get, you know, or just keep you there.
1: You were working at the Apollo and playing several clubs. Of course, there was Broadway that was happening. Did you ever consider
2: Broadway? I never thought I'd be on, on Broadway, bro. I saw Selden Powell, the great uh, Reed player, go. I, he lived in the same building as Uncle Bookie. We would rehearse and, and record in Uncle Bookie's place on 87th and Amsterdam. And I'd see Selden Powell coming in from the gig, coming in from the show, doing another show, and, his, and the many different acts of, you know saxophone cases and woodwind instruments. And I'd go, wow. But never, ever did I think I was gonna play a Broadway show. I just didn't, never crossed my mind. So when, when You Know Who came and did like this to me, I went, really? She said, no, I got this. I need you. I don't want them other guys. They don't want them other guys. I told them I could get you, and I've been sent over here to get In fact, she came to Jezebel's. Remember uh, Miss Alberta's restaurant over there down the street from the theaters? Uh, We were playing jazz. Uh, Me and Andy, we were playing a trio, and we were literally in the window, and she came and... Put her hands on her hips. Miss Twine came in. She stood there and looked. And when we stopped playing, she came inside. I said, Come in, went outside. She said, I've been looking for you. I said, What happened? I I thought, she said, Well, and that was before uh cell phones. Yeah, there was registry and you had the Sky Pager, but she was, you know, like thinking and saying, I, I need to get a different drummer for Color Purple because it wasn't a... uh you know, uh a Broadway thing. It was that down home gut bucket or the soul R and B blues. And she knew that I, I wouldn't think about it. I just play what they want and be quiet. She wanted that vibe and she she wanted what she wanted. And I'm thankful for it because here we are, me and you talking about it. Now, you
1: started out playing with Natural Essence. You went to Music and Art and, and Manhattan yes. School of Music. And yes, sir. You were working at the Apollo. Then you were playing nightclubs, and session work started coming. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, sir. I'm, I'm sure. Now, yes, sir. I've always been curious about uh, – the whole how that whole system worked, and I've talked to a couple of people like yourself that have done a lot of that work. When recordings were were happening all the time in New York City, tell me how a, a typical day would work for you.
2: Okay, if if you had a beeper, I'm being stupid, but if you had a beeper, or they caught you at home, or they left you a message on your answer machine with the little tape running around like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you do like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I got cheesed by Dave Sanborn and all those guys because we'd be doing a gig somewhere in, in the, on the earth. And he'd say on the state, on this, off the stage, on the phone, buddy Williams. But I was running <laughs> the, the machine to see if I had a call for somebody to, uh, for us to work or come do that and registry was the answering service. Radio registry was the answering service that was like a booking uh, service. A contractor would say, I need 20 musicians. These are the main guys. And then he would have alternate names. If this guy's not ready, uh, not available to get this guy. And if this guy's not available, get this guy. So uh, they would call. And if you didn't answer the phone, they'd go to the next thing. Then when we got the beeper technology to at least... Beep you because you're not home. Because otherwise you had to sit at the, you know, by the phone. Then there's the, the you, you want to know about that era? That era had a club, uh, restaurant, bar, restaurant called Jim and Andy's. That was right in Times Square area, over there by the. Oh, don't say that word. By the famous soup guy. See, I didn't yeah, say yeah, yeah, what I was gonna say. <laughs> Jim and Andy's. And the guys, all the guys would go in there and hang out. But there was a registry phone on the wall, two or three of them. Or they would call the bar itself and say, is such and such in there? Tell them I need them. And they'd run to the phone and they'd pick it up and it would go right to the registry. And they'd say, I have a this, I have a, that, I have a 10 to the, or usually it's uh, an afternoon because those guys would do their morning, whatever it was, 9, 10 o'clock job and then go there and have lunch and hang and cocktails. But they would go in there and wait, and then the phone would ring. And if the, you know, they needed a trumpet or the violin guys or whatever, that was as What did I do? I usually got called at the last minute. I had certain people, clients, folks that I would do stuff for all the time. But sometimes um, you know who was late, and I'm not saying their names because I'm going to be in trouble, but everybody knows who I'm talking about. And they would triple book or something, and the people would get mad, and then they'd say, "Call, buddy," and I'd get there real quick, play the thing, and by the time you know who got there, of course you know who had a little attitude about it, but you shouldn't have booked yourself three times for the same you know time slot. And I'm not no see, no slander. <laughs> no
1: slander, I saved I, you I'm not going to mention any names either I have an no, idea of what you're talking about
2: <laughs> folks, that, folks that live with us They know who I'm talking about There was so, three notorious ones That would triple book themselves And think everybody would wait And they got tired of waiting And then some folks just kept me you know, And they kept calling me back But you know, every dog has his day And you have to be ready And uh, you know, I wasn't the greatest But uh, I did the best I could and the thing was, I did show up, shut up and play the music. And that's been the model most of my life.
0: If you like what you hear on the show, subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.com. To continue producing the high-quality podcast you're listening to, publishing engaging newsletter content, and posting YouTube videos, we would appreciate any financial contributions you can make. At this time, we have no advertisers, and we'd like to keep it that way. Our staff is small, but growing. We can only produce a show with listener contributions from people like you. There are a couple of ways you can do that. You can sign up to be a monthly or annual subscriber at broadwaydrumming101.com. You can also contribute any amount you wish through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Broadway Drumming 101 or through Venmo at Broadway Drumming 101 or help keep us caffeinated by buying us a cup of coffee or a week's worth at buymeacoffee.com forward slash BD 101. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash BD 101. We appreciate any support you can give. Don't forget to subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 YouTube page. You'll find more content that isn't featured on the podcast or on the Broadway Drumming 101 Instagram page. Make sure when you subscribe to the YouTube page, you click on the button to be notified when a new video is published. Be sure to visit our new shop at merchandise.broadwaydrumming101.com. Thanks again for listening to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast.
1: You go in, they have the music there, the drums are already set up and the cymbals are yes, there.
2: Oh really? So you uh, just go in and, and play. Yeah, go play. Go play. Uh most of the places uh had had stuff that was palatable when you got used to going to these places. Of course, I started uh, bringing my own cymbals and schlepping my own stuff, and that's why my back says, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but I used to have that cymbal bag on my arm, ooh, and get in the cab, or you know, and get there and get back. When, you know, those were the days. And then go play gigs at night. Yes. You said it right. Burn the candle on both ends, but I really had no choice, but they were they were nice gigs. I didn't Uh, Some of them clubs were till three in the morning. I didn't have to do that. They were, you know, I'd finish at one and run home and and crash out and then try to go to school. Don't forget, try to go to school the next morning when college. I was playing the clubs and going to Manhattan or trying to go to Manhattan (laughs) when I was in town. Oh yeah, I was terrible, man. I was terrible. You're doing sessions
1: during the day. Mm -hmm. might be playing gigs at night. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a thing that comes up um uh, called Saturday Night Live. Now you were the first drummer on that show, correct?
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks to um uh Howard Johnson, God rest his soul, and the great Bob Cranshaw. They said they were going these people were gonna do a TV show. And I met Paul Schaefer. Uh he was fresh in from Canada. So he um I I met those guys and um They said we want to do this at NBC, and uh, I went, I rehearsed a couple of times, I did the first show, and by the time the second show was getting ready to jump off, I left because, I know, I left because I was playing. I got offered to play with Bette Midler for a lot of money. I got to say that for a lot of money because those days i I wasn't first call for everything i'm somebody's daddy um saturday night live you would do your performance on saturday you would work that week rehearse uh do the camera blocking pre-records whatever it is and then you didn't get paid for three or four weeks you didn't like get it at the end of the week or like we do on broadway that's another good thing why i liked about broadway you got paid Right then, Wednesday or Thursday or whatever it was. That's right. You know? And that was to me. And I used to hear about the guys. Oh, can I say this? Yeah, I'm going to say it. Uh, I used to hear about the guys that used to get the little mail, get the check in the mail because there was supposed to be a certain amount of musicians on uh, participating. And they were called what? Walkers or something yeah, like that? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> some guys got it in the mail. I was like, man, sign me up for that. But I never thought I was going to do a Broadway thing because I thought I wasn't... I wouldn't say I didn't think I was good enough, but for lack of better words, I, I didn't think I was good enough. Or I could do it. I mean, I could do it, but I always looked at it as a very difficult, uh, classical, lengthy... You know, it it didn't get hip until... I mean, I went to see... Oh, Zachariah or something like that. And Purdy was playing. I was like, yeah. Now there's a... And that was way before The Wiz and the... You know what I mean? Like that. But again, and then The Wiz came to town. Or, you know, Charlie Small and all those guys did that. Timothy Graffin Reed. I mean, Luther got a tune in The Wiz. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm friends with these guys. So I was like... Yay! Good for you guys. Good for you guys.
1: You know, going. I was going to get to Luther in a minute too, but okay. You know. Okay, sorry. Because first of all, I love that first (laughs) record. I love most of his records, but man, you know, never too much. And the house is not a home. And brother man, spicing. Sugar's for (laughs) you (laughs) know. Yeah, brother. You know, I. Uh anyway, so Luther had done a song uh in the Wiz and he was kind of connected to the Wiz, but you were also working with Luther because you were doing a lot of stuff with him and Marcus Miller and all those guys and you know, I guess did you I know that they also sang on on the for background for uh the the song Fame by David Bowie. I want to ask you about singing. You also sang on Jingles too, correct? Or did you sing a on a couple jingles?
2: A couple, yeah, a couple, not lead thing, but the, they get say, get over here and sing this guy. No, <laughs> and they'd go, uh, uh-uh. uh, uh, like the Luthers and the the guy uh, Bill Eaton, uh, those guys that know, knew me, knew me. They said, Mm-mm. well, I can't say what they said because we we're, you know, it's a public thing. But they said, bring you up f- over here, come on, <laughs> sing that, sing with your daddy's voice. So I would imitate my father, the baritone voice, and uh, well, you know, do that thing that, but that note would be there. And I'd get the little check, but I sang with Roberta, backgrounds with Roberta. Uh, I sang on jingles, but not like the the, the multi not like guys. Patty like, oh my god! <laughs> L- listen, that's a dynasty right there. Patty, um, uh, 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 Luther, Luther, and Patty was the the king and queen of jingles, singing on jingles. But Valerie Simpson sat on and sang on a lot of you said debbie Mcduffie, Debbie McDuffie was the reason why I was playing in that phase of of uh the Apollo showtime at the Apollo because debbie Mcduffie, I would do commercials for her. Mm. oh brother she was the she is the empress of all of that stuff. she'd get everybody luther uh uh, uh Lou Rawls, uh. Rachel, you know, the, 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 the companies would get, you know, they want that black vibe or the soul vibe or that, 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 that kind of thing and that sound and that vibe. Debbie McDuffie got Leon Pendarvis to do the arrangements. And there's pictures. I'll find the pictures and send them to you of, of everybody standing around the piano. Denise Williams, mm. um, uh, James Ingram. I'm looking at the picture I, I got over here. Uh, what's, uh, what's the Luther and Emma over here on the other side of the <laughs> piano and just being bad, you know, talking lots of, you know, what, and, and Penn is just playing the piano to get everybody to get their parts together. And then Teddy Pendergrass was singing the lead on one and there's Roberta standing there with her flop hat on. Everybody's in the room. Each one of them are like, right. <laughs> Speaking of, but speaking it was of, lucrative. Sp- lucrative. They got stayed that. You know.
1: Uh, speaking of legends, Anita Baker, Mariah Carey, Leslie Uggams, GRP All Stars, Will Downing, Saida Garrett, Melissa Morgan, who I love, Jeffrey Osborne, Shaka Khan, Nancy Wilson, George Duke, Regina Bell, Manhattan transfer, who you worked for for a long time, uh, forever, uh, ever, Tom Brown. Luther Vandross, and let me just stop because I just gotta tell you, you know, I I grew up in the '70s and '80s. I was born in 1966, but I started playing drums in the late '70s, and I grew up on funk and soul and R&B, and you know, Cameo, Parliament,
2: yeah, and Larry, look,
1: man, exactly. But look, Larry Blackman. When man. I heard, you know, Funkin' for Jamaica. Oops. And, <laughs> and, Sorry, bro. And, and stuff like that. And then, of course, the first Luther Vandross record and all the stuff from the late 70s. And I realized that you were playing those those records. And I was like, I used to go down in my basement and try to play like you. Maybe that helped with me actually being able to play at The Color Purple. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's something that I'm just... Glad to be able to speak to you about your influence on my life. But playing that first Luther Vandross record, did you guys realize what was going to happen with that? Was it something that you knew was going to be special?
2: Here's the short story of the Luther, that that project, the, the Never Too Much and all of that stuff. Myself and Luther, young Marcus Miller, we were all... Working and playing and touring with the great Roberta Flack. She, she, you know that she's an institution, a uh, 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 school, uh, school of thought, music. You know, you come through there, you learn, you get it. So we've been touring with Roberta, uh, but Luther had already tried two or three times to do solo projects for himself. You named David Bowie when Luther was with David Bowie and Carlos Alomar, of course, and the great um, oh, Robin. Robin. Uh, Robin and Luther grew up together. They were in groups like "Listen, My Brother" in the Apollo Basement. I, I keep referring to the Apollo. That was an incubator for us to grow and make us to be able to deal with the world that we did and thus going to, to the next level. So that, that never too much record, which by the way, never too much was the last song we recorded. He said, Oh, I have one more song. <laughs> we wow. did it. There you go. There you go. You like that morning session thing. Can we do it at 11 o'clock on Monday you know, or whatever day it was. And we had a three o'clock with Roberta to record uh, a song that she did with Maya Angelou's, words, lyrics, a poem, and we had they had, you know, put music. We we put the music to it and we had to be there at three o'clock, downbeat. Earl Clue played. It was a big thing. But Luther wanted to do this one more song. Now he had been trying to he's always writing, always, always writing. So he said, hey, I wanna do some demos uh for my for my project, because Roberta told him you need to do your own record. You need to do your own record, but not beating them up, but just saying you need to do your own record. So having said that, uh, we recorded at media. We did this song. We did the House Is Not A Home was late at night. Uh, Anthony came, turned the bass down to D. There was none of them little six-string nothing. He had that, <laughs> that piece of wood. That piece of wood that he played on looked like it was the oar from Noah's Ark or something. It was... <laughs> Old and gray, but it, 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 the, the resonance and the, the tones that he got out of it. Next time you hear that song when he said, that, that's, you know, then they started making six string basses, but what I'm that's, saying, is that Marcus we, Miller? No, House is not a honus. is Anthony Jackson. Marcus what? is on everything else, Anthony. That's why I'm saying this to you, because you like that record. House is Not a Home is Anthony Jackson, and it's only two takes, and they kept the first take. What? We had a lot of (laughs) one-take things, and Luther used to say little stuff like, "Mm, I'm sick of you. So what's the matter? He said, you get it right. But I have that. I said, yeah, but you have the, you, you can now concentrate on you know, yeah. your, your backgrounds and everything. And he, he, you know, he would tease us lovingly, but, and, and he was a jokester all the time. So, okay. So we did all of those tunes we do to this day. And then we'd go on the road or something and do to the next day or something. And, and until, and then he said, well, I got one more song. Can we do it? And he got time at media on 57th street, uh, and they got us in that little studio upstairs near the office. We all schools, all the stuff, the drums. The guys brought my drums, and he sang in that little hallway, which was gonna be the isolation booth. And the he had these words, and it was go they didn't slow down now. I has got all these words, you know. Mm-hmm. I can. <laughs> Saying to myself, you know, keep it, you know, because he get tried to get it out, you know how it mm-hmm. the, the cadence, but he got it the the best the, them jingles. The nothing about the the so he could get it and there beautiful, beautiful. He pulled it off. But then, uh, okay, we did that. Then and Marcus always tells the story, but he's looking at his watch, but he's looking at his watch, buddy's looking at his watch. Buddy's looking at his watch. Uh, and, t- and saying, can we go? What's wrong with that one? Because they, they'd they say, you say it, because he ain't going to mess with you. But it's not. He knew he was on the same session at 3 o'clock, but he, the singers came later. But uh, as a drummer, you know, if the job is at 3, you know me and you got to be there at 2 o'clock to do sounds and make sure the drums and everything is, is straight before they say five, four, three, two, one, And here's the first song. So... Um, and you know, they used to, they like to do a lot of takes and I'm sorry, I was impatient. Sorry. <laughs> but, but the guys would make me say it instead of them saying it. So Marcus always tells the story, well, you know, buddy was watching, looking at his watch and saying, <laughs> Hey, we got to go. Do we have to do this again? But never too much. That was first take. And then he worked on it later, but that's because we had been playing together. We had been playing. Me and Nat had been playing together a long time. Marcus, he's a chameleon. He'd get in there and morph himself into the thing, add his, his flavor. Nat was the leader. We followed, and we, we threw it. That's what, what got us ready for what we're now talking about. Right. Broadway, where you got the conductors that you go, oh, my God. Oh my God! Come on, let your hand down now. You're right. The singer's gonna kill you. Let your hand down. So So, you know.
1: I gotta ask you a question about. So a house of a house is not a home. It's so slow. Was Nat Adley Jr. Conducting that all? And
2: and no no click.
1: Yeah, I mean it's you guys are so tight, and but no click, bro. It's so slow. But it's so, mm-hmm. it, it's elastic, but it all works.
2: Here and now and all that other stuff kind of came later. Marcus called me up and same thing, that the music uh, block where our music uh, stores used to be, I went to that block, that whatever that studio was, it was Right Track, right above Sam Ash and Manny's. And I brought my stuff and he had a little demo and he said, play. So I... You know, and then they matched it with the gizmo because now the sonic thing they want to hear the the electric thing, but I blended it in with his his uh, drum machine robot, you know the 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 computer thing. So that's why you hear, and he loves sounding like like it's a machine, but it's not. It's me and the machine, and they mix it so good, so it it, it blended blended together, and it calmed it down because it. You know, it's great tune. So going back to the Apollo days, uh, when you were working in
1: the 90s with Debbie McDuffie, you had to play with various kinds of artists and play all kinds of stuff, which kind of leads me to the show Motown the Musical in 2013. And I was fortunate enough to sell for you there as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Oh, thank you for saving me. That required a lot of different styles of of drumming because you had to play the, pretty much the entire Motown catalog. Um, yes, sir. How did you get involved in that show?
2: Charles Wright. Is that his name? Charles Wright? He he was kind enough to... Uh, I You know that I played with um, uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell. And Brian Stokes Mitchell and Charles Wright are besties. And you know how our business works. Uh, I did uh, uh, many gigs with... Uh, with Charles Wright being the, 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 the producer of a show for uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell, we did a, a special at uh, Lincoln Center called Love Life. And the lines were, you know, the ladies were lined up around the block and Charles was the, was the producer and the director. And all we did was like do a Stokes gig. We'd go up there, we'd play. My mom came. My wife came. You know, I'm a family man. They tease me about being family man. But I never connected with Charles in terms of, I mean, he was the boss, man. I saw him, but I didn't. You know how you, you say your, your mother said, you better, you know, you better do right because people are watching you, you know? You always say, I always say, ain't nobody looking at me. My wife and the family's always said, yes, they are. There's a perfect example. They were doing the show or trying to do the show kept trying to do the show, and it wasn't doing what they wanted it to do. And Charles, Charles Randolph Wright, I think that's his name, Great Cat, he, he knew. Stokes said to him, get Buddy. Buddy plays that stuff in his sleep. You still having a problem with that? Get Buddy. I'm, I'm sure he'll, he'll be able to do it. He's in town. You better get him before somebody else does because I always end up going on the road with somebody and never being around. Um, So, having said that, now, Clayton, I'm right there with you. But Joseph Joubert had said to them before, I think you should get Buddy. You know, and Joseph and I did color purple. We go back to kids, you know, coming up in our our world here. But he was kind enough to keep saying that. But so when they finally said, okay, they said your man's name, so we're going to get him. JoJo called me. This one called me. But uh, when I got there, Mr., uh, Mr. Wright said to me, you just go over there and play what you know this is supposed to sound like. I, and, and I'm saying it, paraphrasing. And if anybody bothers you, I'm going to be in trouble, but I got to say this. If anybody bothers you, you call me. Here's my number and my cell phone. Because you know better than all these folks... They're trying to tell me what this is supposed to sound like. And I can't be worrying about this no more. And Jojo winked at me. It finally came together. But I got Motown because of the the uh the great Charles Randolph right band, Joseph Jobert, but Stokes said said something in his ear. And yeah, God God puts I'm you know, I'm not, you know, trying to do anything other than say the truth. God makes things happen. We think we we're doing stuff and you know, we're not whining the clock. God wakes us up and he puts us to sleep. So put me in the right place at the right time. It's the same thing with the next one you're going to ask me about, uh, Miss, Miss Mil- Midler and uh, Hello, Dolly. I went down there and same thing. I went to play and bet. I have played for bet 40 years, but i not, you know, I, I remember I told you in the beginning, I left Saturday Night Live to play for her, but she took care of me. Uh, and made sure I was cool because she knew I left my show. And when I came back to New York, I got my gig back at Saturday Night Live and stayed for 12 years. But I got to say this before I, I get off the topic. It's, it's the Yeah, it's who you know, but it takes the people like the Zane Marks, the uh, 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 Daryl Waters, uh, the Linda Twines, Shelton Beckton, uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell. It takes those people. Yeah, they're friends and, and dear, dear family members, but it takes somebody to say, did you call Buddy or did you call Clayton? Oh, well, he's too busy. And then what do they say, Clayton? Did you ask him? And here we are. So I'm sure you've had the same situation. So by the grace of God, these uh, wonderful events happen and blessings because I sure didn't know what was going to happen. And I'm telling you, 20, 30 years ago, if you'd have told me I'd have been playing on Broadway and hanging with you, brother. I tell you, out your mind, because <laughs> I, I never thought I'd be a, a Broadway thing, man. But I'm glad I, I was able to participate and not, you know, mess up too bad. Speaking of
1: messing up. Now, certain things, certain things happened in the mid 80s where it messed up a lot of people's careers. And that thing was called the drum machine hello <laughs> when that came out you know in the in the early 80s did you say the Lin. yeah the lynn drum and the the Roman, casio yeah all those drum machines were you like man yeah. what the hell's going on am I gonna lose my career or did you were you like all right no I can rock with this like how did you how did you approach it when it when it started happening
2: when the lynn machine and all those things came yeah did I worry sure we all worried but when we saw how the application could only go but so far, and, I mean, they're much hipper now than they were then. Did it, did it uh, impact our wallets and our livelihood? Of course it did, but, you know, uh, that's why infinity's like this. It all comes back around, right?
1: What do you think is the most important thing that a drummer should know about being a success
2: on Broadway? Shut up, show up, and play the music. Shut up! Show up, play the music. The music can't suffer, so I'd rather take the hit for the music than buy the music. David Sanborn,
1: Luther Vandrios, Herbie Mann. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, I, again, I can go on and on and on. Roberta Flack, all these different people that you played for. You played on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of hit records. If someone were to come up to you today. And said, Mr. Williams, you know, I, I, want, I want to do half of what you've done. Just how do I get to, you know, be a success like you? What do I need to do? I'm, I'm brand new to New York. What do I need to do?
2: Well, yeah, practice. You know that practice and go study with uh, somebody that you can uh, get some. Now in today's age, you can get the iPad and look at YouTube and videos and things of that nature. But um, I always tell them, though, those little club gigs... And those singers and church gigs and things like that, do those because that gets your your chops together to play with that kind of music, different varieties of music. So I say to any young drummer that wants to do what I do or, or did do did what I do what I did, you have to not say no and accept the challenge of whatever the music is, whether it's church or Brazilian, or bossa nova, boring or intricate. It's all applicable. Go for it. Go for it and practice it, because somebody's going to call you one day and say, can you play this? I need you to come right now and play this, and hopefully you'll be able to accommodate them, and they don't throw you out, and you might get paid for it. (laughs) Uh, And, And that would help
1: you play. The Color Purple, Motown, and Hello, yes. Hello Dolly. And, yes. And to add on to the advice column, if somebody wants
2: to play in musicals, what would you tell them? Oh, um, it's, not, it's not different than what I said, but the musicals, you have to study and listen to those. The Judy Garland songs, that idiom, uh, Barbra Streisand, look, Cy Coleman wrote, all this, I'm naming all these, but them psychoman tunes. Look, listen to that. They were written for a specific, you know, uh, part of the piece. You know, go to the library. Uh, we're we're spoiled here in New York. You can go to that library at Lincoln Center and just stay all day until they kick you out and listen to all of those musicals. But now with the the uh, energy of the internet and uh, YouTube and all that, but you have to study those musicals, man. You really do. And as a drummer, you have to study it and play along, put the headphones on and titty boom in your little practice pad or whatever it is, but you got to get it in you. You got to hear it. So what do they do to learn musicals? They have to listen to them, go, you know, just saturate yourself with that. You
1: know, if you were to tell somebody, man, I made this mistake and I think you shouldn't make this kind of mistake. I did this and I don't want you to, to, to repeat what Ooh. I did, what was the biggest mistake you've made? And what would you tell someone to, to avoid?
2: Well, the, you, you know, you know, you got to be on time. You got to be on time. You got to be on time. You got to get your reading together. You got to get your reading together. You got to read. You got to get your reading together and practice it i mean get it together especially a drummer and you can't be clowning in the pit i, I got busted for that but it you just can't you can't you, it's, a, it's a everybody's not the same temperament this you, you you know what i mean and i don't want to say the 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 violin or the this or the that this folks is is very they, their approach to what they do is different than your approach to what you do. So you have to blend in with the rest of the fish in the bowl and don't be clowning in the pit. I, I, those are my, I hope I said the right three. The do's and don'ts, of course, you got to follow the leader, the conductor, conductor, tempo, conductor. You got them on a the screen there in the situation, you know? And he's doing it. And you got, the, you got the other screen to see what's going on on stage. It's hard, right? I remember when
1: I was subbing for you at the color purple, the first color purple. Uh, Linda yeah. Twine had a.
2: Yes, uh, she did.
1: <laughs> she had a drum uh, metronome in her lap.
2: Little drum machine <laughs> with, the, with the orange glow. And <laughs> her hand would go. Hand would go hand would go. You better stay with her. Don't care what they're doing up on that (laughs) stage. You better hand would go. But guess what? Didn't we swing with her with that hand doing that? And everybody hated it. And they said, oh, man, it's dragging and that shit. What'd I just say to you, bro? Follow the leader. (laughs) And she had, like, four of those machines. So if she left that sucker up on the... On the... uh. The, on the stand, uh, bandstand or uh, uh, on her podium somebody come sabotage it she had another <laughs> one in the pocketbook and she had two more upstairs in her dressing room.
1: The thing with about batteries that. and everything. <laughs> For those that don't maybe may not understand what we're talking about, she had a uh, a metronome in her lap and she would conduct to the metronome you know trying to uh, conduct the people on stage as well as the orchestra I was thinking to myself why don't we just get the click but she wanted to control that so it was a a balancing act between following her and knowing what Steve Barganetti was playing Lord Hammer I forgot the, the bass player on that show Ben Brown yeah Ben Brown I mean they were grooving their ass up I'm like okay what do I do and and I was like okay these people in the pit are like, follow me, follow. And then we're trying to listen to what's going on, on stage, but she's trying to conduct, and it's, it's such a odd juxtaposition. I guess is the right word. To you're supposed to follow the conductor, but you don't want the music to suffer.
2: Well, and, there's our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like,
1: yeah, it's it's you know, when do you, uh, you know, you watch the NBA? And recently, inside the NBA. Shaq and Chuck are talking about driving the bus. Like, you know, you're, you're, the, you're the star player. <laughs> do you drive the bus? Yeah, I drive the bus. You know, Shaq always talking like this. and yes, he do. <laughs> <laughs> so do you drive the bus as the drummer of the show? Or do you, like, take directions from the, the co-pilot who is the conductor? Um, it's like, you know, it's a it's a tricky, tricky thing.
2: It's a It's a slippery slope. As I, I aforementioned, I drove the bus with Miss Twine because that, that was what it is. Well, you do that as all. I drove the bus with her as the GPS. I drove the bus with uh, Hello Dolly, uh, with the conductor, with the conductor, until Boss Lady got lost. When Boss Lady got lost, I was, I was the GPS to bring her back into mm-hmm. the thing. And when we'd finish, the horn guys and the violin guys, they would do the little thing on the music stand. Yay, buddy. And of course, the conductor didn't like that. But, and then I would go to his room and, and get ready to get lashes. And I was never smart or disrespectful to him. But, uh, you know, he considered me teacher's pet, which I, I tried to sell him. Listen... I'm just trying to save us, bro. She she got lost there. And he says, I understand. Thank you very much. And he never really got me. One time there he wanted to, but she was so happy. She she yelled downstairs later, thank you guys, thank you. And all the guys were saying, see, buddy, see, see. But you you're right. What
1: kind of endorsements do you have and
2: what kind of gear do you prefer Uh, to use? I've been a Zildjian cymbals guy all my life since I was 16. I bought my first Yamaha set. I have to say that for the record. I bought my first Yamaha set because I I loved the sound and they had a floor tom-tom. that had a pedal on it like a timpani and you could go. And that was Yamaha that had that. And I wanted one of those. So. I kind of bought that, and uh, but when I went to Japan, I met, uh, well, I, I met Mr. Hagiwara, uh, Hagi, Takashi Hagiwara. He took care of me for all my life, bro. Yamaha Drums and Yamaha, they, they really stand behind their product. The same place that they make that beautiful piano, right down the road is the drum shop, the drum factory. Uh, Sakai, S-A-K-A-E, Sakai in the old days. They made the drums by hand. It was a factory, had little little ladies with the gloves on, zzz, zzz, putting the lugs in, and some of them are gold or whatever, and they had a countdown. They would hit the thing, how many products they made that day, hitting the buttons. You go to the fact when you play in Osaka at the Blue Note or wherever you're playing, Hoggy would come and take you to the factory. You'd have lunch, but you'd go and watch them build instruments. I've been with Yamaha a long time, and they're very nice people. I stand behind their, their product, and uh, I'm grateful. Yeah, you 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 were using some graphite sticks back then? Are you still oh, using them? Oh, yes, those? yes, Aquarian. Thank you, Clayton. See, you know I forget. Yeah, I've been with Aquarian drum heads and, and the sticks Forever. But I played with them graphite sticks so long, man. You know, you have these people say, save a tree and the ecology. Those graphite sticks was wonderful. I never liked... Sorry, I'm a little picky sometimes. When you're playing on a drumstick, on the cymbal ting, 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 thud, Because it's rotating in your hand, right? And the tip, the tip uh, will chip, right? Chips, tip, bud. So the uh, yeah, I like, I love the uh, nylon tips from the, the different companies. But these graphite joints, they didn't break, and the tips were constant. The tip, the sound on the symbol was constant, and mm. I, I never, uh, I never worried about that. Uh I but that's my my thing. Um but uh what was his name Roy Burns? Ah Thank you, Clayton. Sorry. Getting old, bro. I'm getting ready to be 70, you know. I'm trying to remember where I live. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody believes it, but Roy Burns, bro. Roy Burns came and found me. Roy Burns, he said, Man, you, you know, we played in Chicago or somewhere. And he's from Nashville or whatever. And Then he went to California. But Roy Burns, he made his drum heads are uh, wonderful. I love the brush thing that I have to do with the Robertas or the. Uh, I'm getting ready to play with Lilius with the Lilius. Anybody, you know, uh, Leslie Uggams. I always have to get a new brush head for her because you know she's her voice is only but but so so high and she plays that old swing thing. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah! I love them. Yeah, the, those other guys were good, but you know, Mr. Burns was was a, 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 a supported me for many years when all the other guys didn't, and they went who?
1: So if people want to find you like Roy Burns did. Where can they find you on social media? Are you on
2: TikTok, uh, Snapchat. I'm on all of that. <laughs> I'm on all of that. Uh, I turned my Instagram. Snapchat off. Instagram. Buddy, uh, Facebook is Buddy Williams, uh, Buddy Williams drums. I still have a Buddy record out, uh, that I'm getting ready to release some more songs. Um, Buddy Williams featuring, uh, Will Downing. He sang La Costa for me and that did very well. And I'm getting ready to release the, the whole CD, uh, well, CD, but the whole project is, uh, uh, all in the family because all, all for the family. uh, uh, I, I kind of shortened it for the, for the single, the family, but I, I'm putting it out. I've, I've played on so many people's projects and written and produced so many other people's stuff. Like, okay, for instance, nobody knows that we, that group of Luther, Marcus, myself, Barry Miles, when we were playing for Roberta, one of the projects that we've done that's now just like what I say about the Infinity, that's coming back and they just remastered it for the 21st century to go go use is the Bust and Loose soundtrack by uh, Richard Pryor's movie. And Cicely Tyson's in it and it's Richard Pryor and it's it's no hoochie stuff and the music is great. Luther has a great song. Uh, Marcus everybody wrote, uh, I wrote two songs, uh, with Roberta and, um, people Bryson sings on it. It's a great project. And that's, that's coming out. Uh, it's already out now by the time you get this up up and running MCA or whoever it is, but the busting loose soundtrack by Roberta Flack and all of us. And oh, look at you, look at you. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I never yeah. heard this one before. Yeah. That's the problem. You know what I mean? They, Record companies, you know, they they back and forth. They finally gave us clearance to to release it. I mean, Roberta's, you know, been trying to get it done for a while, but I'm I'm sure some of the alumni, I'm not naming no names, but I'm sure some of the alumni have put, you know, kind of cattle prod some of these uh LA executants who was blocking. Why block some good music? People want right. to hear it. Right. You know, so that but I I co-produced that uh back in the days with them and I've always been behind the scenes so I bring all of that up to say everybody yelled at me when you're gonna put your stuff out when you're gonna do it when you're gonna yeah so I I, I do out. have a project it's just every time I tried to get it done then COVID happened and then I had a couple of little uh health things I had to take care of before I could uh, go forward so now I'm ready to go uh
1: this is kind of a personal thing. I mean, this Do probably thing, won't won't go on the podcast. It may or may not. Because, man, I, I, as we speak, Backstreet, Straight to the Heart, all those early oh. David Sanborn records.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <sighs>
1: beautiful. Beautiful music, beautiful drumming. Straight to the Heart was the live one, which had
2: run for cover on it, right? Yes. You
1: guys did that at SIR? Is that where that yes. was?
2: Yes. But, but let, 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 let's, let's call it the, the real name since we, we, t- we talk in history and you all want to know the real name. The name of that joint is called The Cheetah. That's The Cheetah. The Cheetah used to be where all the live bands, bands that we bow and genuflex to, Earth, Wind and & Fire, and let's not forget Cool and The Gang. Them brothers kicked everybody's you-know-what. When them other bands came to town to try to do a battle of the band or whatever it is, they, they did all of that stuff at the Cheetah. That became S-I-R later, but the Cheetah is the name of that joint, brother. And I saw Cool and the Gang eliminate, annihilate uh, the Commodores, as we know them, and Earth, Wind & Fire, And this is 70s, early 70s. and But Sly and the Family Stone came and played there. It was a club, but it was a big club with lots of rooms. But the main room was that stage, that soundstage that we know. And then, of course, yes, we did the Straight to the Heart uh, soundtrack. And and they they, recorded it uh, in black and white. Cheap people. But anyway, <laughs> shut up, buddy. <laughs> With the track and all that stuff. But we still made it swing. We still made it swing. We did that. Uh, Hiram, God rest his soul. Oh, man. And Don Grelnick, man. Oh, God mm. rest his soul. Don Grelnick died right after we did that. And Sanborn and, and Grelnick, they you know, they played Brecker Brothers. They played with lots and lots and lots of things. Hiram, too. They all played in lots of different bands together. I was just glad to be in the room. And that blue set, that's a custom Yamaha blue set that's right there. That's a buddy blue. Uh, what color do you want it to be? I showed him. I'm a Sagittarius, so my birthstone is turquoise. I said, could you make it o- ocean like the, the ring and hoggy? Took a picture of it with one of them AutoBoy 35 millimeter, and came up. That's those drums, man. Still can't. I, you know, I miss those drums. They got lost in the, uh, in the uh, pandemic. Oh uh, no, they got the first pandemic. 911. That that's another hard story. I don't want to live. Yeah, 911. Mm-hmm. We lost it. That 911. A lot of those stuff. Thank you once again,
1: Buddy Williams, for being a part of the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. You shared Ooh. so many. Words of wisdom, I, I can't thank you enough.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. And I still I still say, I'm the rookie of the Broadway drummers because <laughs> you guys have done more in one or two years than I've done in a lifetime. But I'm glad to represent and hope I didn't dis, you know disrespect anybody getting down there playing and making a whole lot of noise because it's hard to play. It's hard to be a drummer in the pit. They try to uh, play it off and say send in the new boy but brother man at uh what do you call it at at hello dolly she chewed him up and spit him out you know so uh, i'm glad i i got to stay you know but it's hard it's hard to do that and i appreciate it you know you got to be an accountant you got to have eyes all around your head and, and still humble yourself to to make the music uh Sound the way it's supposed to sound every day the same way. That's not easy. That's not easy. That's why I never thought I could do a Broadway show because I play the same way every day the same way. But we, we, we figured it out, you know. But thank you for coming and helping me, though, Clayton, because that was a great help, man. Thank you.
1: I'm glad I could be one of your subs. And it's very, very nice knowing I could be there for you.
2: Yeah, man.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Again. All right. Thanks again. Bye, brother.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Broadway Drumming One O One podcast.